1 John chapter 4. We're picking right back up here in verse 7. We'll go to verse 16. Let us read through the scripture and then we'll take it verse by verse. Beloved, that means you and I, believers, he's writing to believers here, not to non-believers, to believers. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, you're going to teach us all things from your word to speak to our hearts. Apart from you, Holy Spirit, we cannot understand your word. And so as the word, as you, Holy Spirit, dwell within us, as your spirit moves, speak to our hearts, bring clarity to your word, and let us know without a shadow of a doubt you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we have seen in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, it says there, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. John was dealing, and the believers were dealing at the time, with people who were thought and pretended to be believers but they weren't believers they were false prophets they were false teachers they were those who were trying to sway you and I away from the truth of who Jesus Christ is they want your attention to be on the religious organization and not on Jesus or they were trying to teach them that Jesus was not God in the flesh Or that the fact that as a Gnostic, they don't even believe that God even dwelt in the flesh. He was just some imaginary, some some image that they were creating in their own minds. That he was not really real. And it goes on and on and on. And there's nothing new under the sun. It was happening then in the first century, the first church. And it was still happening today. But here John is, tells us that even though we are, are to test the spirits, that when we hear someone teaching, we're to go back to the word of God where our foundation is and test all things to make sure they line up with the scriptures. Have a biblical worldview. Make sure you have your Bible glasses on at all times and in hearing aids to listen to what people are saying about God. And make sure it doesn't conflict with the word of God. Now he warns us in this next part of his letter that we have to make sure we don't become cynical, not to become critical, because that's the other side of the coin. 
There's a challenge with people who become so knowledgeable of the things of God that they no longer are listening with ears of intent to see if this is of God and make sure it lines up out of a love foundation. No, no. They become very religiosity, legalistic, and they become very critical and cynical about everything some teacher is teaching. They don't sit there with the this expectation of, of it being from God. No, no, no. They look and they sit down and they go, test me. I'm listening to every word you say and I'm trying to find the holes and the mistakes and the problems in what you're teaching because it's a mindset you have to be very careful of because you become legalistic. And so we see this here today in John. John is saying we're not to become cynical in regards to hearing people teach the word of God. Yes, we are able to identify the heresies and the apostasies and the pseudo-spirituality of things that are going on in, in one's life. But we must also be one of those who love. We're called to love for God is love. We should show grace more than the law. We would show and have, just be, 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 show, be gentle. Be, show grace to people when they make mistakes. They're not perfect. But test all things to see if there are, are, are what they're saying it was a mistake or they didn't have a clarity or if they have the intention of swaying you away from the truths of God. Those are two different things to be very careful. And he starts off by saying, Beloved, it's a very tender word here, a tender heart here. Beloved, I love you. I love you a lot here. But understand this. Let us love one another. He starts off, let's start, make sure the foundation, when you're, we're living together in, in unity here as, in Christ, make sure, let us love one another. Why? For love is of God. It's the foundation. It's what's transformed you. Is the love of God is now imparted into you as a child of, of God. That is the indicator of if you're uh, actually a believer. If you've truly been born again. It's not how much you know. It's how much you love. D did you hear me? God, John is writing here by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not about what you know. The foundation is how much you love. You're loving. Is the love of God pouring out of your heart first? Or is it all about the criticality of how much knowledge you have and how much you want to prove the other person does not have that same knowledge? Be very careful. Because it's at it's a, it's a teetering there. Yes, we're to be Bereans. We studied that last week. We're to take all things and look and measure. But that's not from a critical spirit but a loving spirit. So, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone, everyone, not just some in the faith, but everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. It's a personal relationship. It's not just a, some religion that you've adopted. It's because you know God. God has revealed himself, his love to you, his grace to you to save you from your sins. Personally. Not because you belong to some organization, some church. Belonging here does not save you. The church doesn't save you. God's people, you, cannot save someone. Only the love of God can save you. By showing his grace to you. And, how, and if you respond to that. To that love. That the gift of salvation. Why? Verse 8. He says. He who does not love. Does not know God. For God is love. It's the indicator. If you truly are born again. Do you love God's people? Do you love God's people? And that love is in a, the word agape in the Greek. It's an agape love. It's, a, it's not a love that you're, it, there's some string attached or some hook attachment. Or I love you if you do the following for me. I love you if. No, God says, I loved you before you even had the opportunity to love me. 
And I demonstrated that love, as John will continue here. Because he starts this first part in verse 7 in a very interesting ancient Greek sentence here. It's, it, it's, it, if you look, beloved, let us love one another. It means those who are loved, let us love. Why do we love? Because we're loved. Who loves us? God loves us. Wait, wait, wait. You're telling me, Pastor, that I need to love that brother or that sister unconditionally. With no strings attached. Not that they have to meet certain indicators first. That if they're born again, they're a believer, I'm to love them regardless of how they respond to me. Yes. Why? How, how can you do that? Because you were first loved by God. See, when you really sink that in, my brothers and sisters, that you can love one another not based on their performance, not based on what they've done for you first, but you base the love that you have for one another's brothers and sisters because of the love that God has already showed you. The grace of God. And it's out of that love he's shown you. You just allow that love to pour right straight out of you into the lives of those that are around you. <laughs> I know. There's a little bit of a hush across here. Let that sink in a little bit. Because it goes completely against your nature. Because our nature is, I'll love them if they show me love. That's not how it works, my brothers and sisters. Oh, I'll love them if they're perfectly doing what I asked them to do. No, that's not how it works. Again, John wants to emphasize here on the love among the people of God is powerful. If you go back to 1 John 2, verses 9 through 11, or chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, you see if you're not loving, you're really more on the devil's side. You're showing a more of a dark side of you. That you really may not be a born-again believer. You're not really walking with the Lord because there's a darkness to you because you're not loving. Here he, he shows why it's so important. Because love is of God. And those who claim to be born of God and claim to know God must be able to love one another in the body of Christ. They go together. They cannot, they're not separate. You can't sit there and say, I, 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 I really am born again. I'm a born of God. I know God. But then you have no desire to fellowship with the people of God. There's not a sink there. You're, you're not right. You're not right. Anytime in my mind, if I ever think in that way, of, I don't want to get around these crazy people. Why, why don't they just mature and grow up and walk with the way that God wants to do and I'm wrong. I would be wrong. I would be completely going against God's people. God himself. Because he calls us to love them. Because he first loved us. The word here, know, knows God, is a, a specific word here in the Greek called gnosko. And it's a word that is translated in the English to know, but it's a word that means knowledge by experience. John is saying when we really experience God, it will show by our love for one another. It will show. It's not something you create and only do on a Sunday and you can, okay, I just need to show enough love to enough people to convince them that I know God. Oh, you don't have to work on this. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's what is produced in you. It's just natural. It's, you don't create it. No one else can create it for you. Now, little kids, you're going to love everybody when we walk into this church. You have had those conversations in the car, haven't you? You're at war in the car, and all of a sudden, now we'll get each other, and let's love and pretend we love each other, and make, kids, make sure you love, and make sure we've done. We tell everyone, come on. You may fool most, but you don't feel fool God. 
No, no, no. We, we have to come with the right hearts and say, Lord, I, I need you to just work in my heart to help, us, help me to grow in, in that knowledge and experience of watching you work through my life and show the grace and the mercy and come through my life so that I can love other people as you have called me to. You've called us to love. Now again, John insists that there is something that is given to you and I as a believer when we're born of God. That God imparts his love into you as when, he, when you become born again. And it's a love that's imparted into our life and that they did not have before we were Christians. Now, don't get me wrong, non-believers still can show love. There's different loves. You can have a family love. You can have an, an exotic, you know, an erotic love. You can have all kinds of loves. We've studied that. And people who are non-believers can show love. That's, that can happen. But we're talking about agape love. A love that you're not looking for anything in return. You're looking just to give. And that is why we understand as we look at this, Christians are imparted something in our lives of forgiveness that we turn around. Now we have this love for other people of forgiveness. We can just forgive to other people. When other people, how can you forgive them? They just smacked you across the face. How can you forgive that? They just said, you, you hear what they just said about you? And you forgive them? Yes. They didn't do what they said they were going to do. How can you forgive that? Because God first forgave me. I turn around and now I forgive them. They know not what they do. That's what Jesus said. They don't know what, they don't know what they're doing here. People who don't have the ability to love, they have bigger problems in their life. They don't know God. They have a much bigger problem than I could ever impart to demand them to, to talk a certain way about me or not to talk a certain way about me or to act a certain way about, with me or not to act a certain way with me. I don't have to worry about these things. Why? Because they have a bigger problem if they can't love because they're not right with God. So John is sitting here a love imparted into our lives that didn't exist to, in our lives before we became a Christians. And not just the fact that we've been forgiven. Yes, it's beautiful. We've been forgiven of all of our sins. But now we have been born anew of God's Spirit. And the God's Spirit is to produce love in our lives that never used to be there. A love that just pleases God in every aspect. Of course, of course, of course, the love is not perfected in the life of a Christian from day one when they get born again. It's not perfect. On this side of eternity, we're not going to be perfect. Though it may not be perfect, it must be present in your life. Even though they're not perfected in their love for one another, it better be present if you're really going to call yourself that you know God, that you're born again. It should be growing in one's life. Once you get saved, there should be a starting of a whole new, the, the, the seeds have, have been planted, it's been watered, they're starting to produce, and over time it's going to produce more and more and more the fruit of what? Love. It should become more evident. You can't truly grow in your, our, your experience of God without also growing in the love for one another. I'm growing and deepening my relationship with God. If that's true, then I should see more love coming from your life. Not complicated. We're fruit inspectors. We just look. We just, no matter what you say, Depends on what comes out of that mouth and how you respond and how you act consistently over time will determine where you are in that growth and maturity. Not looking for perfection. I'm just looking for growth. I'm looking for change over time as you really are wanting to go deeper with God, John says. 
So God, John can boldly say, he who does not love does not know God. If there isn't really real love for God's people in your life, then your claim to know God and experience God in a personal, personal level is not true. That's not me saying it. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Take that up with God. <laughs> you could want to struggle with me on that. If you struggle with me on that, that tells me more things about the fact where you're at. Because you're struggling with the word of God. Love is of God, brothers and sisters. The love John speaks of comes from this, this, this the word agape here, as we see this, this, this self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting a repayment in turn. It's what we refer to as a God kind of love. Are you experiencing, are you seeing that kind of fruit from your life today? Or is there still growth to be made? The Bible says, and also tells us that God is a spirit. We see that in John 24. God is light, 1 John 1, 5. And that God is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12, 29. But our God is also a God of love. And it's this glorious truth that we must hold on to as a Christian. Love describes the character and the heart of God. Yes, he is so rich in love that it can be used to describe his very being. When we say God is love, we are not saying everything about God, though. And that's where a lot of Christians or pseudo-Christian, spiritual Christians who say they're Christians... They can go off, off on these deep ends and go walk away. They can sit there and say, I love God, but then live completely contrary to the word of God. They don't line up. Why? Well, because what we're seeing is that they only take one aspect of God, and that God is of love, and that is true. But we also understand that love is an essential aspect of his character, yes, and colors every aspect of his nature, yes, but he does not eliminate his holiness. It does not eliminate his righteousness. And it doesn't eliminate his perfect justice. When you talk about the character and the fullness of God, you need to look at all aspects of the character of God when you talk about how you are going to choose to live and identify who God is to you. Oh, God is love. I like that one too. <laughs> I hold on to that one too, you know. But I also know the God that I serve is also just and holy and righteous. And he expects that as a child of his to be rightly in that. Instead, we know the holiness of God is loving. You know that. You study the scripture, if you study the Old Testament and study the New Testament with us, you know his holiness of God is loving and the righteousness of God is loving and the just of God is loving. Everything God does in one way or another expresses his love. Why? Because the love is the foundation that permeates every aspect. The problem is, the great problem that we see today is that people say, love is God. It's a term that they use so lightly because they don't even understand the, tr the true definition of true love or the God kind of love. All they think about is the squishy kind of love. The touchy-feely kind of love. Or have a nice day kind of love. Because that's all they can rise up to at that point in their life is all they can understand in a non-Christian position or a very immature, brand new believer is all they can understand in a, from a fleshy perspective is being nice. I'll be nice to them if they're nice to me first. 
I'll, I'll, be the first, I'll be the more mature one. I'll be nice to them in the fellowship. But as soon as they don't show nice to me, or give me that little stink eye, or they, or they, they look kind of cross-eyed. Did you see that, honey? They look at me cross-eyed. No, sweetheart. I think they had something in their eye. I don't think it was the cross-eyed two of you, okay? But they don't seem really nice to me. We're to still love. As a believer, we're still to love because that person may not be a born-again believer. They're just hanging around the church or they're a brand-new believer and they haven't grown yet and matured to have the kind of love that John is talking about. And are you willing to be patient and long-suffering and kind and gentle to allow God to work in their people, that person's life by, by grace? Can we? Can we do that? God's called us to love. He's called us to do that. Regardless if you are willing or not, you are called as a child of God to love. There are a few people who really know and really believe that God is love. That's a very narrow path, I'm sad to say. For whatever reason, there's so many won't receive God's love and let it transform their lives. Over the years, I've heard so much, Pastor, I just can't handle the love. I don't, I don't know how to handle and deal with this love. That I, they don't say it that way, especially guys. <laughs> guys don't usually say that unless it's one-on-one. -on -one. But let me tell you, if that's speaking to you, my brother, Keep showing up regardless of how you feel. You're going to grow and you're going to really understand what it means to have God's love poured through a person, a brother, or a sister in the Lord. And you will get used to it because you're going to grow to a point where you start actually the love of God pouring through your life. You will. You'll experience God's love. And the growth and maturity and the fruit, it's only a matter of time. Just keep showing up. Now, what is the meaning of love? And how does that apply here? John says here in verse 9, in this the love of God was manifested, made clear. It was a, it's absolutely clear God's love for you. How do we know this? Why? Because it was manifested toward us. How? That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. How do we know the Father loves you? He sent his only begotten son for you. How many dads here would send his only begotten son to go save a rebellious, sinful, wicked man or a woman of their neighbor? Another country, another place. Who would send their son or daughter? But your heavenly father loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for you and for me as a sinner. That's how clear and manifest it is that the father loves you. My brothers and sisters, our heavenly father is not some mean, angry God of the Old Testament that people try to try to that's part of the false teaching and falseness that, that Satan is just trying to permeate. The Heavenly Father is just this mean, just he's ready to just smack you. He's so critical, he's gonna come after me, and I, I everything I get. It's just, it's just, it's just I just love Jesus. But John is telling us, he's not talking about Jesus yet. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit yet. He's telling you and I that the Heavenly Father loves you. He loves you. And it was manifested because he made it clear that he sent his only begotten son. It shows us what love is and what it means. Love is not only defined by the sacrifice of Jesus. Yes, we saw that written in 1 John 3.16. 
Yes, John 3, 16, but no, read back, just, just glimpse, glimpse, glimpse over to 1 John 3, 16. He made that statement there. It also defines by the giving of the Father. The Father gave His only begotten Son the unique oneness with Him. He sent for you and for me to make a way for you to be saved. If the Father didn't send His only begotten Son, you and I would be going to hell. We would be separated from God for eternity because of our sin. Does that resonate to you? That the Father loved you while you and I are in a state of absolute rebellion and chaos against Him? That He would send His only begotten Son to die for you and me? John is saying to the people, don't forget God, the Father, loves you. Jesus, who was willing to come, loves you and went to the cross absolutely knowing when he took onto that flesh that he was going to a horrible, horrible death that you and I were supposed to take. Verse 10 says, and this is love. Not that we loved God, because we didn't love God. Before you get, became born again, you didn't love God. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The payment of our sins. Because the payment of sin is death. Someone was going to die for that sin of yours. And you and I were lined up ready to go. Until the father created you loves you so much yes you the one who's absolutely deep in sin right now wickedness you can't even speak out loud and you're not anyone here but you remember your old life Remember your old life? The BC days, before Christ days? How prideful? How greedy? How lustful you were? And that the Father says, I'm going to send my son to save him. Save her. Why? Why? Because he loves you. But I didn't do anything. You're right. You haven't done anything. I didn't give enough money. That doesn't take me. It's not about money. But I didn't do enough good works to make sure that I did that. It's not about good works. Ask the thief on the cross. Did he say, wait, 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 let me remodel this, this cross that I'm on so that I can get credit and so that God may will love me now because I did the remodel of this cross. It's a little clean it up. It's a little bloody for my, my body and we'll clean it up and then God maybe now will take me and accept me. No. I didn't read the whole Bible yet, and I haven't prayed yet. I, I didn't do any of these things yet. Are, is God really going to love me and accept me into heaven? Ask the thief on the cross. He didn't do any of that. I didn't take communion. I had to take communion. I wasn't baptized, and I wasn't. Ask the, ask the thief on the cross. But I wasn't a member. Ask the, ask the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross was able to go into paradise with Jesus because why? He believed in the only begotten Son who took the sin of the, way, sin of the world away on the cross next to him. And he believed. He trusted in that man he didn't even know. 
just knew he was the savior of the world. How did you and I get saved? Because God knocked at the door of your heart and revealed the fact that he was the savior of the world. And even though you didn't fully understand it, you were going to believe. You, you just knew that it was, I know I'm a sinner, I need to be saved. And I'm just gonna, I'm taking the step of faith to Jesus. Right into his open arms. Why? Because his father sent him for that purpose, for that mission. <laughs> and he paid it all. His blood literally paid for your sins and my sins of the past, present, and future. I know you're not going to get that around your head. Fully, you're not going to get that around your head. You just have to believe. It doesn't mean you have to fully understand it. As you grow in your experience with God, you're going to get more and more in depth of that. You'll understand. Oh, in verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We're adopted sons and daughters of God, but we're not the same essential nature and being as God, so don't get wrapped up into that false teaching. We're human beings. God created us as human beings. We're not angels, trust me. Maybe a fallen angel, no, just joking. But Jesus is the only begotten son. We're human beings and he is a God being who added humanity to his deity. Do not forget that. And there is nothing better that God the Father could give to a lost humanity, that's you and I, than the gift of the Son of God himself, as Paul states in 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Jesus was the Father's indescribable gift that he was offering you and I. Let me ask you today, did you receive that indescribable gift from the Father? Did you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you believe he's the Savior of the world? And if you did, John says, then we'll be able to live through him. The love of the Father was not only in the sending of the Son, but also for the sending of the, of, of the things that he's going to want to do in and through our lives. It brings life to all who trust Jesus. It brings not only the life of all who trust Jesus, but his work on their behalf, because he is the propitiation for our sins. He made a way. There on that cross, Jesus took the punishment our sin deserved. His sacrifice turned away the righteous judgment of the Father that was supposed to come upon you and me. Why? Because we were sinners. The righteousness of the Father had the full right to bring judgment upon you and I because of sinful, for being a sinful being. Living in rebellious contrary to God. But no. Jesus, literally his sacrifice on the cross turned away the judgment we would or should have received. We usually think how this shows the love of Jesus by going to the cross. We think we talk about it all the time. Oh, Jesus loves us. He went to the cross for us. He did it for me. He died for me. His blood was shed for me. He was beaten beyond recognition for me. He loves me. And that is very true. But John here in those letters with two believers and to us today he didn't want to make, he wanted to absolutely make sure. But it also shows the love of, the, of God the Father. He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The Father loves you. So that you could live through him. 
How do you know I'm talking to or you're talking to someone who says they're a brother or sister of the Christian? Are they living for God? Is God living through them? Can you see them growing and maturing, living for God? Or are they just living for themselves? That's how you can tell someone who's born again is they're living for God. You know, it's interesting. I hear today many times, who's Jesus to you? Or why did God send his only begotten son? And some people say, because Jesus is a good teacher. And he teaches us about himself and about God. And, he, and, 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 it's, and, and again, that's a wonderful thing for you and I. It would have been far more than we deserved, even if he just sent him just to be a good teacher for us. And then some will say he was our example. The reason why he came is to, for us to have an example. And again, true, it's been great for us to have a, an example to how to live our lives for God. And that is true that he came as an example too. But that's not what is the value here. Not that he can teach us something about God. Not that he's an example because of, of, of who his God is. But God did not stop with he's merely to teach or to be an example. But to die the death of a felon that we might save us from our sins. That is why he sent Jesus. Oh, I always remember in the picture of the fact that God the Father looks down on that cross and he sees us in the life of Jesus but then when he looks upon you he sees Jesus in you he traded places with you and I that's a beautiful love thing it's a love story that you can't hold back Because he loves us so. You know, it's interesting that the phrase, if God so loved us. Having received the love, this love from God. He's very clear here in the scripture, we are to direct it to love one another. We're called to love one another. And it's this pattern that we see in the scriptures as we're studying the scriptures. We see this pattern received from God, then giving to others was a familiar, very familiar to John. If you go back to John 13, 14, when Jesus was washing the feet of his disciples and showed such great love, such servanthood to them, washing their nasty feet. That's showing love. Not you painted little toenail kind of moments here. This is not how their feet were back in those days. Not the spa smooth feet you're talking about. Nasty, dirty feet. You just came out of the field for the last several months and your feet are nasty in those boots. Jesus is getting down on his hands and knees to wash those feet for you. Why? Because he loves you. And so we see in the example that he sat there with his disciples and he got down and he literally went down as a servant and he just to, to, to literally wash his feet. And we would expect when you read this and the fact that this is the king of king and lord of lords. Are you kidding me? He's washing the feet of his disciples. His disciples should be washing his feet. That's how people think. But we might have this expected him to conclude this gesture after he's washed his feet. And he's like, oh, this is such a very religious thing to do. It's a really cool kind of moment when people read it. But no, 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 it's not. You've got to think it beyond what you naturally would think. But look how he responds, though. It's a great teaching here. He gets all done washing their nasty feet. And you would expect then he would say, now wash my feet. Is that what Jesus said? No. He turns around and he uses that moment and he says to them, Wash each other's feet. 
Jesus says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. John 13, 14. See, the proper way to love God in response to his love that he is showing to you is to go out and to love one another. John 13, 35. That is our response from God's love to you. If we don't love one another, how can we say that we have received the love of God and have been born, been born of him? Love is the proof we are taught to look for. God puts his love in our lives that it may flow out of us and the fruit of the Spirit will be on our life that we can, people can pluck from your life. It's like, this is amazing love from this person. You know what it feels like, don't you, for those who have matured and they have that kind of love. And you're just, people are like, why would you do that for me? Because, first of all, Jesus loves you and I love you. But, 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 but you don't know me. How can you tell you love me if you don't know me? Aren't you a brother or sister in Christ? <laughs> you're a brother or sister in Christ? Of course I love you. I'm called to love but I haven't done anything for you. Perfect. Here. Wait, wait, wait. Let me pay you. No, you can't pay me. Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean? You're, you're, you're buying lunch for me. You're buying breakfast. Why can't I buy you love? I love you. Why can't I, pay? Why can't I buy you lunch or breakfast or dinner? Yo, no, no, don't clean up my mess. Why can't I clean up your mess? Get your hands, you're juggling all kinds. Let me, I, I can clean up your mess. Why? Because God says, I will empower you. I will overflow from your life like living water. The grace of God and the love of God will pour through your life as a mature Christian. That's how it's done. Not, at, not by power. Not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The question is, are you walking in his spirit and love and in, 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 in truth, his power? Remember, if God so loved us and kept us and keeps on loving us, then we have no other recourse but to forgive people who have knowingly and unknowingly offended us. If you are having a hard time forgiving someone, ask the Lord to give you a glimpse of your own sin, a peek of how much he has forgiven you. And that will allow you then to give the ability to forgive another person. Because you've been forgiven much. How can you not turn around and show that same love of forgiveness to other people? Or are you so determined to be right? Are you so determined to be in control? That's called pride, my brothers and sisters, and that has got to die in you. You must learn to forgive as God has forgiven you much. Verse 12, no one has seen God any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. So we know right up here, he, you know, John wants to make sure we're clear. You've never seen God the Father. You've never seen him. Why? Because he's spirit. He, as, as, as Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.17, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible. You've never seen God the Father. Jesus declared of God the Father, God is spirit, John 4.24. Meaning that God the Father has no tangible body which may be seen. And no one has seen the Holy Spirit either. God who came to be our helper, to dwell within us. The Holy Spirit you've never seen, even though you've seen many things represent himself in various ways. But God, who we did say, is God the Son, Jesus Christ. 
Ah, he's been seen. Even John himself testified this to this in chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. He says right here in the scripture, if we love one another, God abides in us. It's the greatest evidence of God the Father's present and working in and through us is the love that we have shown. And since no one has seen God at any time, John says, this provides the evidence of the presence of God in this world. Is there really a God? Is there really a God in this world, in this hell-saken world we're living in? They will answer yes by watching your life and the love that comes from your life. They'll know there's a God. The question is, is it being manifested through your life because you're allowing the Spirit of God to move? Oh, I know that's my prayer. For, that God would, that people would know God because they see God working through my life. A love that they cannot explain. And they can't get their hands around, but they just know there's something. Some people think the greatest evidence of God's presence or work is based on power. When I see power, I know God's, God's coming. I see that waterfalls at Niagara Falls. There's power there. That's his creation. There's a creator who created that. Some people think it's through popularity. Woo! Look at that man up there teaching. He's got power and he's got, man, the popularity. It must be the presence of God working in that man. That person is not because he has power, not because he only has popularity, but he also has this, these passionate feelings. He's in touch with his feelings and he makes me feel like he really understands me. That must be the power. That must be the presence of God in him. Don't be fooled. The greatest evidence of God's presence and work is the true God-given love pouring through that man's or that woman's life. That's when you know there's a presence of God. Where God is present and working, there will be love. The fruit of the Spirit will be evident. Love was the constant and the greatest evidence of the presence and the work of God in Jesus Christ. Now notice there at the very end of verse 12, he says, his love has been perfected in us. Now understand the word here in the Greek is teleo, which doesn't mean perfect. It means mature or complete. If we love one another, then the love of God is mature and complete in us. You're a mature Christian, we would refer to it. The mature Christian will be marked by this God-given type love. How do you have that insurance if you have this? John continues in verses 13 through 15. By this we know. By this we know. By this we know. That we abide in him. And he in us. Why? How? Because he has given us of his spirit. Notice in these verses that we've already talked about God the Father, God the Son. Now we talk about God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is all right here in the presence and understanding for us, as John's writing here. That we would know because his spirit was given to us. Verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him or her. And he and she in God. How do you have that insurance that you're born again? How do you have the assurance that the Spirit of God lives and dwells within you and have sealed you for eternity? That you have a life in God, that you can bear fruit of this godly fruit that John is talking about? He starts by beginning with the words, by this. By this we know. 
By experience, we see what God has done in our lives. He's been perfected in us. He's been cheering us. He's changing us. His love has been perfected in us and for us to then be able to love one another. We as Christians can say we know. Do you have that assurance in your life today as a Christian that when someone asks you, are you sure you're a child of God and going to heaven? Yes, I know. Are you, how do you really know? I know. I know. This is not something, merely a hope we are saved. This is not hope we make it to heaven kind of moment. Hope I have salvation. I hope, I think I have salvation, but I really kind of messed up this past weekend. I hope he doesn't come back today. No, we have the assurance, my brothers and sisters, when you're born again, you absolutely have hope. You have the assurance. You have his stamp all over you. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 15, 4, Abide in me and I in you. John 15, 7, he said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you. One of the ways that Jesus abides in us, lives in us, is how? Through his word. But he says, I have given, God the Father has given his spirit. John brings light to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. First, it is the spirit of God in us that is abiding presence of Jesus. It's the presence of his spirit is now abiding in us. And second, it is the testimony of the Holy Spirit within us that makes it possible for us to know that we abide in him. What is the Spirit of God saying to you right now? Is he giving you that reassurance that you are a child of God, that you are sealed? Should be. Paul puts it this way in Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are a child of God. Is the Spirit of God saying you're a child of God? You have that assurance today, my brother. You have that assurance today, my sister. The Spirit is saying, no, no, you're a child of God. I know you messed up yesterday. I know you messed up this morning. But guess what? I know you're going to mess up tomorrow, and you don't even know it. But that doesn't change my love for you. And that doesn't change the fact that you're no longer a sinner going to hell. You're a sinner saved by grace and coming into my presence now. You've been forgiven. The we here, when he says we have seen and testify, is speaking to the apostles, those and others, disciples and others, who witnessed Jesus' presence right in front of their eyes walking on this earth. They knew the Father sent the Son as the Savior of the world. They did not have any problem with that in this time when this letter was written. There was no question in their mind. But the heresies, and the false teachers, and the false prophets, and the apostasy that was coming after the church, after the children of God, was causing problems and causing to have doubts of their salvation. The scripture has been given to us so that we will have that assurance that you are loved and you have that assurance of eternal life. There's two components you and I must always remember. And I hope you write this down. I hope you memorize what I'm about to tell you. We must confess with our own mouth that Jesus came in the flesh to be the Savior of the world. 
Have you confessed that with your own mouth? The second component is we must confess that he is the son of God. He is God in the flesh. He is part of the triune God. Do you believe and have confessed that with your mouth? A false teacher will not. A false prophet will not. A non-believer will not. Only you and I as a believer will. That is where those two components, those beliefs, that solid belief is what saves you. Verse 16. And the Christian's response, what is our response to God and his love of all this? John says, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. What's our proper response to all this love? To who God is and how he loves us so much? We are called to love one another. I'm glad he keeps it simple. It's not always easy. That's why you need the Spirit of God to give you and allow that love to flow through you and go beyond yourself. You've got to die a self and let God reign in your life. And you'll see the fruit. You'll shock yourself what you're willing to do. <laughs> I think one of the things... Yeah, we won't go down that path. Let me give you three responses. People respond to the love of God. They respond differently. You know that? Some respond with a sense of... Self, self-superiority. They usually have, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so great, even God loves me. Of course he's going to love me. Are you kidding me? If you knew me, you know why God loves me. You get some of them. Some will respond to God's love with doubt. Can God really love even me? You have no idea what I've done. You, there's no, I, I, I can't, it's hard for me to doubt. I really doubt God could love me. I know you don't love yourself, but that doesn't mean you, you're not God. And then some respond with wickedness. You know what that wickedness is? God loves me, so I can go do whatever I want to do and live my, my life however I want to. That is a wickedness. God wants us to respond by knowing, by experience, believing, by faith, the love God has for us. You know, you can love, you can know and experience this love that God's talking about here in the Word. Paul knew that nothing could separate him from the love of God that was in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, verses 35 and 30 through 39. You and I should have that same exact confidence in our lives today. No one and nothing will separate me from the love of Jesus Christ in my life. No one. And when this Christian and you as a Christian have this kind of relationship with God, it will effectively, it will be immer- you'll be immersed into God's love it becomes you and my life it's our environment it's just always present and it's in this place of abiding in God that will allow us to do what we're called to do and we're called to love Father we thank you and praise you for your grace and for your mercy Ah, and for your love. Thank you for showing your love to us by sending your only begotten Son. Jesus, thank you for showing us your love by going to the cross and dying for our sins and being uh, the one who is always interceding for us and always representing us, always fighting for us. 
And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for showing love by dwelling in us and in, in, in that still small voice speaking to us and showing us and correcting us and convicting us and changing us and moving us and molding us and changing us and maturing us and that we would bear the fruit of the Spirit, your love, a God kind of love. Have your way with us this day and the days to come. As the world gets darker and gets more wicked and more lawlessness, we need each other so desperately in these days. May we stay so connected in the body of Christ, loving one another as you called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.